You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. As you can see, we're starting a new series today called Intentional Joy. And we're going to work our way through the book of Philippians. Philippians is one of my favorite books of all the Bible, mainly because it's so practical. I'm a practical kind of guy. Uh, hopefully you see that as you leave here each week. I want you to take something with you that you can use uh, from God's Word. It's been known as the letter of joy because 16 times various forms of the word joy are found within its pages. Let me give you a little bit of background. If you want to turn there, that's where we'll be, Philippians chapter 1. If you have your Bible or you've got an app on one of your devices, that would be awesome. The author of the book, most of you might know, is the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul. As Saul, he spent his time arresting Christians, having them put into jail, and eventually having them put to death. But the Lord transformed him. He gave his life to Christ. His name then changed from Saul to Paul. And instead of seeking to gain wealth and position in this world, He took on the task of sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel of Jesus wherever he went. And eventually that landed him in prison. Philippians is a letter written to the church in Philippi, written from Paul from a prison cell in Rome, most likely chained to a guard. He's there, and as he's doing it, he continues to share the message of Jesus. The date is around 862 A.D., when the church started in Philippi. He's known as a church planner. He would help start churches, much like you guys are doing here. He would jump from city to city, get some spiritual interest going, launch the church, and then move on. Most likely the church of Philippi, the preacher that he left there, the pastor, was Luke, the gospel writer, also physician, was left to pastor the church there. In this message, I've got one goal and one request that I want you to leave here with, and it's this. The goal of your life is to be described as a life of connection. The goal of your life and my life is to be described as a life of connection. We're going to learn that from Paul with the Philippians. Today, we're going to point out three important secrets to a life of connection that he gives us in the first chapter. The first secret is this, engage with a small community of believers. Engage with a small community of believers. When the church began, they used to start, they met in the temple courts and in houses. As persecution arose, it was much easier to meet in the homes. After all, that's where people were comfortable anyhow. And because they did that, it formed a tight-knit community within the church. So tight, Paul writes in Philippians 1.3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Sometimes you'll receive maybe a note, a card, an email. At the bottom of that, it'll just have Philippians 1.3. How many ever received something like that? That's people communicating to you, hey, I appreciate you. I'm glad you're in my life. In fact, I thank God every time I think of you. I thank God for you. Hopefully you've got somebody like that in your life. 
Because God didn't intend for you to go through this life on an island, to be isolated from other people. All the way back in Genesis, in the creation of the world, God describes the creation as good, except for one part. He said it's all good, but man is not to be alone. Think about Adam. He had a great garden, lots of pets, beautiful place to live, had work to do, a perfect relationship with God. There was no sin, but still God looked at it all and said, no, it's not good. Not good. And maybe you came into this room today feeling a little bit lonely yourself. Maybe it's not by your own choice, but maybe, just maybe, you're feeling lonely because of natural transitions in life. A once busy household is now quiet, and you look around and there's no one there. Maybe it's a transition because you've moved to a new area. You really don't know anybody. Or maybe you're lonely today because you've been hurt so many times when you tried to get connected to somebody else that you put up some walls and you're thinking, no, never again will I go there. And so what we end up doing in that position is we turn up our music on our phones, put up our privacy fences, push the button on our electric garage doors, drive, push it open, drive in, shut it, never meet with anybody in the neighborhood. We're in our own little fortress and we think, okay, I'm safe. I'm independent. I don't need anybody. But then after a while, we begin to think, I'm really not content. In fact, I'm miserable in this life because we were not created to be alone. It's a book that came out several years ago called The All Better Book. It had some really tough questions, and then it gave some answers, and they let kids give the answers. Let me give you one of the questions that was asked in the book. Question was, with billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What would you suggest? Here's some of the kids' answers. People should find lonely people and ask them their name and address, then ask people who aren't so lonely their name and address. When you have an even amount of each, assign lonely and not so lonely people together in the newspaper. Pretty clever, right? Curtis, age eight, gift of administration, eight-year-old. Make food that talks to you when you eat it. For instance, it could say, how are you doing? What's happening to you today? Max, age nine. Another one, Caitlin, age, age nine. If they don't feel like they're pretty, you could say, well, you're a lot prettier than someone I know who has big, bulgy eyes. Self-esteem builder, right? Another one. Last one, Brian, age eight. Sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes when I feel like no one loves me, I do one of these. Sing a song stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of these. With billions of people in the world, you would think someone would be able to figure out a system where no one's lonely. Somebody has, 
And that somebody is God. And the system that he's created is called community. Being a part of the Christian faith means, as a believer in Christ, you and I have a responsibility to get into life with other people, to do life with other people. And the best place that happens, we're going to talk about today, is in small groups. Jesus had a small group when you think about it. He didn't spend a whole lot of time, although he spent some time with the masses, talking to the masses, but the bulk of his time was spent with 12 guys and an even inner three guys. He'd invest in them, teach them, live with them, talk with them. He spent his life with those 12 guys. And before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gives those disciples his final instructions. And we know it as the Great Commission, which is to not only become a disciple, but to make disciples. Acts chapter 2, the birthday of this new community called the church. Peter is given the honor of preaching the first message. After he shares about Jesus, about 3,000 people are added to the church except Christ on the very first day. That's a pretty good launch for a new church, right? 3,000 people. Now, what do you think those people did? They now accept Christ. They're new Christians. They say, oh, that was great. Great message, Peter. Great hanging out with you guys. I'm going back to my job. I'm going back to my home. I'm going back to my hobbies. I'm going to back with what I know. Their lives were never the same. They were never the same after they accepted Christ. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. Here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Let me pause there just for a second. Last week, something amazing happened in this place, and I wasn't going to share it in a large group. I shared it earlier with the setup team, but, I, but I, God kept pounding me over here that I need to share it. Uh, it was pretty cool. We came together last Sunday, and a guy named Bernie, who was homeless, came through the doors with, I assume, everything that he owned. He walked in early when we were just setting up, he walked in. Everybody introduced themselves to him, and he sat out there for a while. And then as time went on, the guys got to talking to him. And when he came in to worship, he sat right back there where you're sitting. He sat right there, all by himself. And one of our guys came in and sat next to him for worship. Worshiped with him. And then as, we le as everybody left, he was also invited to help with teardown. So all this material you see hanging in the walls, we, halls, we call that scuba. Guess what Bernie was doing? <laughs> Bernie was side by side with our guys folding scuba last Sunday morning. And he needed a place to stay that night and some other things taken care of. And one of the guys stepped up, paid for his hotel room, took care of him and all of his needs 
last Sunday. Guys, that's the Acts 2 church. I really would like to know how many churches across the United States, those that call themselves a church, had something like that happen last Sunday. But that's what happens when you do life together and you serve Christ the way Christ intended us to serve him. Continues, every day they continue to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. As a result, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Their lives were changed and they were never the same. And one of the major keys to that is they met together in small groups. In those groups, they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying each other. And the Lord continued to add to their numbers. You see, church buildings didn't really come around until sometime about 300 A.D. Church buildings didn't exist. They were out in the temple court sometimes. That was kind of like the city square. There they would share their faith and they would win people to Christ. But then they would go back to the homes, kind of like the square in Medina. We go out there, share our faith, like the ice festival, share our faith. But then we go from there into homes or into small groups and gather and grow together. It frustrates me because I think for hundreds of years, people have gotten and I wish I could hop off that, but I've learned that I'm past that. For hundreds of years, people have gotten the wrong idea of what church is. They think church is coming to a building that has to have a steeple or a cross on top, or it's not a church, right? Well, they walk into that building, and they sit down in this thing called a pew, I've been in a church all my life, and I've never figured out why they call it a pew. It's only bad reasons that I think it's called a pew, all right? Sit down in this thing called a pew or a chair. They sit down, and they stare at the back of somebody's head. Listen to this thing called a sermon or a message. Sing a few songs. Get up. Maybe... They shake a few hands if somebody lets them. They shake a few hands. They leave the building. And on the way out, they say, man, I've been to church. I've been to church. And one of the things that's frustrated me through so many years is that is only a tiny tip of the iceberg of what church is. A tiny tip. Church is so much more. You and I were meant to do life together. God intended us to love and be loved, to know and be known, to serve and be served, to celebrate and be celebrated. And one of the best places to do that is in a small group. One of our core values is a simple statement that says, life change happens best in small groups. Say it with me. Life. 
And I want to do everything I can to encourage you to be a part of one of those. Paul continues in Philippians 1, 4, and 6, 4 through 6. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership. Underline that word. Highlight that word. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That word partnership is koinonia. It's fellowship. It's community. It's participation. It's connection. It's all about becoming a disciple, then making disciples. Paul goes on to give the second secret to the Philippians. He would say, encourage one another. Encourage one another. He concluded that being confident of this, he who began a good work in you, oh, you wait. He's going to keep it on until the day Jesus comes back. Lifting each other up. Remember that old t-shirt? In saying that was out there years ago, please be patient with me. God isn't what? Finished with me yet? Paul's saying, you're right. He's not. You hang on. And part of what we do within groups and within the church is lift each other up. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's what happens. We just sharpen each other, a little sharper, a little sharper, you look a little bit more like Jesus, a little bit more like Jesus. I've asked Jeff and Becky Rowe, they are in my group that meets on Wednesday nights, every other Wednesday. I've asked them to come up because I could say everything I need to say, but I wanted you to hear from uh, somebody else about what groups are and what they matter, and we'll let them do that. Let's give them a hand for going. <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's good to see you all. So um, the things that are kind of running through my mind will probably take about 45 minutes, but I'll try and keep it brief. Uh, number one, God is great. Thanks, Brad, for telling us that. That's one of the things that was ringing through my mind. The other was talking about community. And uh, God has given us, one of the great things that God has done is he's given us one another. And every time we gather together, we are gathering together as, as Christ's body. And so I appreciate every one of you. And I hope that, that you would feel the same about everybody else that's here. And I've been trying to get everybody's name. And I don't have everybody's name here. But I do have every name of my small group. I know each one of them by name. I know a little something about them. I pray for them. And um, they pray for me. I, I have always been in small groups, really. I can't really think of a time that I haven't been other than very brief periods of time because I need a small group. I probably have three that I participate in now. I look forward to Sundays to seeing all of you. But before I see all of you, many of my small group are helping volunteer here. And so we're talking about what's happening in life. We're sharing with one another our needs, the things that are going on in our lives. And then I have another small group that I meet with on Saturdays. It's the group of men from the main campus and some of the guys that are here. I don't want to be disconnected from them. One of the things that I was worried about whenever I said I was going to be committed to come here is I was involved in a class, which is a small group, and I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave all those relationships. They're so significant to me. Um, they still are, I'm still connected with them, but not in the same way that I'm connected with a small group that we have here at Medina. 
So I would encourage each one of you to join a small group if you're not in one already, because God asks us to be in community with one another. It's an important part of our Christian faith. Coming to church is one part, just like Jeff said just a moment ago, but that's not where it stops. We need to be in one another's lives. We need to know what's happening with one another. We need to be able to encourage one another. We need to be able to pray for one another. We need to be able to lift one another up. So I'm going to encourage every one of you, without exception, to find yourself a small group and engage in that. Okay, I'm the opposite of Jeff. <laughs> I, um, That's why he put us together. That, yeah, God put us together for a reason. Um, I'm more of the one, like um, Jeff had said earlier, Jeff Hugis said earlier, that, um, oh my gosh, I'm home, I'm in my pajamas, can I wear my pajamas to small group? My kids usually say no, but anyhow, I don't want to go a lot of times. But a lot of times um, I go and I always, God blesses me twofold for that. The other thing that I notice, I work for Wadsworth City Schools at the high school. I have a lot of my students that the world teaches, teaches us that we are good to be alone. This is not the case. A lot of my students I see put in earbuds to listen to their music. They put up walls because it's easier, so they think. It's really not. Um, I'm reminded of how many of you as a kid or even as an adult has thrown that pebble in a pond. And when you see that pebble land, you see the ripples on top of the water. We are that pebble. So when you toss that pebble in, those ripples affect everyone you come in contact with. And that's how God is. In our small groups, we can share things that sometimes for me is a huge struggle. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about my story, if that's okay. I have bipolar and anxiety and depression. It's a big struggle for me. But you know what? God has placed me here. He's given me things to talk about. He's done healing in my life. And I praise him for that. I shared with my small group, with different students, I'm able to share my story. He has a story for each one of you. He wants you to share your story within your small group. Release some of that. Give it to God. Get connected. Connection is huge. That's what God wants. Don't let the world tell you differently. Because being lonely is a terrible place to be. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Notice how she said, I'm going to share a little bit on my story. She looked at me and said, that okay? Turned her head and just started talking. <laughs> That's Becky. And you get to learn each other within the group on how each other reacts and you grow together. Uh, it is huge. Which is, leads to the third secret, and that is express love to one another. Express love to one another. Sometimes that's tough in this world. 
In fact, someone said, to live above with the ones we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the ones we know, that's a different story. Life can be tough trying to work with each other. Uh, But Paul's in prison and he's writing this. He writes in verse 7 and following, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me say it again. You were not meant to do life alone. You can fight it, you can argue, but you were not meant to do life alone. You were meant to be connected with other people. Presently, we have two adult small groups meeting one on every other Tuesday and one every other Wednesday here in the Medina area. We also have a high school group, uh, a teenage group that meets as well in Medina. We need five times that many. Our intention is for small groups to be the heartbeat of this place. That's where we serve, that's where we love, that's where we outreach for people, Uh, that's where it happens. Today, there's a table right outside in the lobby. As you walk out, if you turn to your left or right, you'll see a candle on that table. Uh, We'll have representatives out there to help you get connected into a group. Uh, We have leaders right now for one group ready to go of 20 to 30-year-olds. We realize that that's a huge need that we have to uh, meet, and we are ready to meet it uh, starting immediately. The rest will connect into the other adult small groups and begin to Uh, multiply and spread those as we make more disciples here in Medina. But you can do that out in the lobby. Gilbert Belexkians said this. I love this. He said, it is in small groups that people can get close enough to know each other, to care and share, to challenge and support, to confide and confess, to forgive and be forgiven, to laugh and weep together, to be accountable to each other, to watch over each other, and to grow together. That's huge. Let me tell you something. Almost every time that I have grown in my faith, that I have advanced in my Christian walk, it's because somebody else has come alongside of me and shoved me. (laughs) Given me a little bit of kick, a little bit of encouragement to go the next step. And that happens in every walk of my life. This past week, as a small group, I shared some concerns I had with myself and where I am, not in my Christian faith, but in other zones. This zone. Thursday morning, I'm at uh, Cool Beans every Thursday or all morning. And I'm sitting there, I got paper spread all out, working on the message three weeks from now. And one of my small group guys comes in the door of Cool Beans. And he sits down at the table across from me and talks to me the way I needed to be talked to. 
not really comfortable. Tomorrow at 530, I'm going to be at the Y doing a boot camp. That's not fun to me. I've done it before in my life. But I realize face to face, he says, this is what you got to do. He says, I'm going to be there. I'll be waiting for you. Okay, I'm in. That's what happens in small groups. All kinds of life change. I've seen small groups gather in emergency rooms. I've seen small groups in emergency rooms gather around a dead body. But I've also seen small groups in hospital waiting rooms rejoicing and crying together because a new baby's been born. It's doing life together. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man, pity the woman who falls down and has no one to help them up. I'm going to ask you to stand as we wrap this up. I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to ask you to come all the way together in the middle. Come all the way together so you're shoulder to shoulder with somebody, elbow to elbow with somebody you don't know. Come all the way in. Nobody out on the wings. Shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow. I love the story that John Bell tells. John Bell is the former president of the Special Olympics. And I've heard it many times, but every time I hear it, it speaks to me a little bit more. He shares of a Special Olympics, you can find this on YouTube, that happened several years ago where the Special Olympians lined up for the 100-meter dash. And they got into their starting blocks, they put their feet in their starting blocks, and he said, the starter said, on your mark, get set, bang. And they started down the track. He said elbows and arms, legs were flying all over the place. But they didn't get but seven steps into the race and one of the young guys fell flat on his face on the track. He said, what do you think the other seven did? He said, well, they didn't finish going down the track. They stopped, they turned around, they went back they picked up the guy who fell face flat on the track. They dusted off his elbows. They dusted off his knees. And then all eight of them linked arms. And they headed down the track. And they broke the tape as one. You and I need that. You might not think you need it now, but you will need it. There will come a time in your life where you need somebody to come beside you, dust off your elbows, dust off your knees, pick you up and say, I know you're hurting, I know you're weak, but I'm strong right now. Lean on me. Go ahead and connect arms with each other. You need that. God didn't intend for you to go through this life alone. But God intended you and I as believers in Jesus Christ to do this life together in the good and the bad to help each other through.
and across the ultimate finish line that we all want. That's a life of connection. Father, I thank you for everybody in this room, God. I thank you for their heartbeats for you, for their families. God, allow us to become a family with someone outside of our own family so we can truly understand what doing life with someone else is about. God, if there's someone in this room right now that maybe God isn't even a part of a church family for real, uh, God, we're about to sing a song. Let him come forward. Love to have him be a part, become a part of this body at Northside Culture Church. And Father, someone who's never accepted you, may this be the day. God, if they come forward or out in the lobby, let them approach somebody and say, hey, I really want to accept Christ. Whatever the decision, God, help us to move that way by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can relax. Stay right where you are. Let's sing this together.